0: And we return to Jeremiah, this time on page um, 804, uh, 41, uh, verses 1 to 15. In the seventh month, Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, the son of Elishama, who was of royal blood and had been one of the king's officers, came with ten men to Gedaliah, son of Ahikam at Mizpah. While they were eating together there... Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, and the ten men who were with him got up and struck down Gedaliah, son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, with the sword, killing the one whom the king of Babylon had appointed as governor over the land. Ishmael also killed all the men of Judah who were with Gedaliah at Mizpah, as well as the Babylonian soldiers who were there. Excuse me. The day after Gedaliah's assassination, before anyone knew about it, 80 men who had shaved off their beards, torn their clothes and cut themselves, came from Shechem, Shiloh and Samaria, bringing grain offerings and incense with them to the house of the Lord. Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, went out from Mizpah to meet them, weeping as he went. When he met them, he said, Come to Gedaliah, son of Akiham. When they went into the city, Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, and the men who were with him, slaughtered them and threw them into a cistern. But ten of them said to Ishmael, Don't kill us. We have wheat and barley, olive oil and honey hidden in a field. So he let them alone and did not kill them with the others. Now the cistern where he threw all the bodies of the men he had killed, along with Gedaliah, was the one King Asa had made as part of his defense against Basha, king of Israel. Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, filled it with the dead. Ishmael made captives of all the rest of the people who were in Mizpah The king's daughters, along with all the others who were left there, over whom Nebuzaradan, commander of the imperial guard, had appointed Gedaliah, son of Ahikam. Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, took them captive and set out to cross over to the Ammonites. When Johanan, son of Karea and all the army officers who were with him heard about all the crimes Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, had committed, they took all the men and went to fight Ishmael, son of Nethaniah. They caught up with him near the great pool in Gibeon. When all the people Ishmael had with him saw Johanan, son of Karea and the army officers who were with him, they were glad." All the people Ishmael had taken captive at Mizpah turned and went over to Johanan, son of Kereah. But Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, and eight of his men escaped from Johanan and fled to the Ammonites.
1: Elena, thank you very much. All red, eh? All those names. <laughs> Let's um, look at a picture. Let me show you this. That's uh, Berlin. In May 1945, just at the bottom there, you can see the Brandenburg Gate. And uh, the Soviet offensive had resumed on the 16th of April. And the Red Army gradually took the entire city. Hitler committed suicide, we think, on the 30th of April. And then Berlin uh, as a whole fell on the 2nd of May. But there were still a few pockets of resistance. And um, they weren't... Uh, well, they didn't surrender until the 8th of May when Victory in Europe, V.E. Uh, day, um, happened. And that was on the 8th of May. But if you look very carefully at that photograph there, you'll see there's utter devastation. Apparently there were 600,000 apartments in Berlin were destroyed, and although 1.5 million of the inhabitants had left before the battle for Berlin, there were still 2.8 million people living there. Now, if you were, say, uh, well, they divided Berlin into four sectors, a French sector, British sector, US sector, and a Russian sector. And if you're in charge of one of those sectors, you've got a big problem. How are you going to feed them all? How are you going to get water to everyone? What about law and order? How about health care? In the longer term, what about education? And where do you start? And first up, it was frankly pretty chaotic until they uh, began to get some uh, some things in place. It was bound to be. Now Jerusalem, 587 BC, two and a half thousand years ago or thereabouts, uh, was like Berlin in May 1945. Except it was worse, much worse. Because Jerusalem itself was completely uninhabitable. That's why a lot of the action that takes place uh, in those two readings that Elena read for us takes place at Mizpah, uh, just a, a little way down the road from Jerusalem. Because it couldn't have taken place in Jerusalem itself. It was uninhabitable. The Babylonians had executed God's judgment on his own people, on his own city, on his own place and his place Jerusalem and his temple in Jerusalem have been completely destroyed God has abandoned his people and this evening we're going to see in Jeremiah chapters 40 and the most of 41 there just simply this that without God it all goes horribly wrong let's pray Further, we pray that as we look at this uh, uh, couple of chapters, or just less than a couple of chapters, that um, uh, you would sober us, and you would speak to us about uh, these very sobering things that we see here, and see us, uh, help us. We pray, see how they work out, how they apply to us here today. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. So without God, it all goes horribly wrong. In Jeremiah chapter 40 and 41, God has abandoned his people. They're on their own now. And if you look at these two chapters, God actually only speaks just at the end of verse 2, in the beginning of chapter 3 of chapter 40, and he speaks through a foreigner. He speaks to someone who's not supposed to acknowledge that he actually even exists. Uh, uh, he doesn't speak through a prophet. He's not a direct voice of God. This guy is just remembering and speaking back to Jeremiah, possibly what he heard Jeremiah saying over the years. Uh, God himself is silent. And God's people now are adrift and they're on their own. They are without God. And without hope in the world. And everything starts to go horribly wrong. Their safety goes wrong. Their security starts to go wrong. Society as a whole has been now hideously compromised. And it gets worse. And we shall see it's got lessons for us. Right here, right now in Hove in 2019. Without God it just goes horribly wrong. Actually, living life without God your moral compass begins to go. In fact, a society that, as a whole turns its back on God, the whole of that society's moral compass begins to go. And you begin to find there is no genuine cohesion or glue that sticks a society together. There's no common purpose in life, in community, in society. And then in the light of and in the face of eternity, we find ourselves without hope and without God in the world, and without hope, and without God for eternity. The judgment of God is a terrifying thing, and as we were seeing last week in chapter 39, that was what was happening to Jerusalem, the judgment of God, and we see the results of it this evening. And my guess is, 90% of us, Don't take it anywhere nearly as seriously as we should do. Because without God, it all goes horribly wrong. It goes horribly wrong in time, here and now. And it goes absolutely hideously wrong in eternity. So in what way uh, then do we see in Jeremiah 40 and 41? In what way do we see this uh, these warnings that he has for us? Well, the first point is this. We see abandonment abandoned now we're reading history here okay so when you look at these two chapters in jeremiah this is history this really happened but tonight is not a history lesson we're not here tonight just to find out what happened two and a half thousand years ago it's not just history it's more than that because the new testament tells us that what we're reading tonight in jeremiah was written down for us And not just that we might have a history lesson, but that we might know God better, that we might live for God better, that we might serve God better. So we're to take note of this and not just to go home this evening and ignore it. It would be a really good idea, actually, this evening to go home and perhaps just to read those two readings again, just before you turn the light off. And then when you do, pray you don't have nightmares. Look at verse 1. Jeremiah is in Ramah, which is probably a holding camp for the forced deportation of all the the best people, all the most qualified people, all the leaders of, of Jerusalem. Probably the majority of them, they were going to be deported to Babylon. Babylon's about 500, maybe more miles to the east. That's as the crow flies. Straight across the desert. But they weren't going to go across the desert over to the east. They were going to go up north and over the top and then down again, down the Tigris-Euphrates valleys. Now, that is something like 13 or 1,400 miles. That's a bit like walking from here to John Groats and then most of the way back again with chains on. Possibly barefoot. And Jeremiah shouldn't have been amongst them. There'd been a mistake. Uh, The Babylonians actually had respected Jeremiah, and they said that he wouldn't be in chains, he wouldn't be deported. deported. And so in chapter 1 there, you get this guy, Nebuchadnezzar, who's the uh, commander of the the army there, and he sees Jeremiah amongst the Jews, and he thought, oh no, I've got to do something about this, because otherwise I'm going to be in big-scale trouble here. Uh, And then he says this uh, to him at the end of verse 2, The Lord your God decreed this disaster for this place and now the Lord has brought it about. He has done just as he said he would. All this happened because you people sinned against the Lord and did not obey him. And he's absolutely right. In fact, Jeremiah is probably thinking, well, yeah, that's what I've been preaching for the last 40 years and here we have someone who actually has believed me. I've been preaching this for 40 years, and almost everyone, to a man and to a woman and to a child of my own people, have not believed a word I've said. And now it's happened, uh, at least i got someone here from the invading army who actually reckons that I was speaking the truth. It is actually when we see Jeremiah's stickability, just keeping on going, preaching the same message when people were just saying, I'm not interested, go away Jeremiah when they were going like that at him and he did it for 40 years and he kept at it so stick to the truth keep on going you're at school you're off to uni you have friends you have family and so on we keep on going we never know what god's going to do and this nobizaradan commander of the, of the imperial guard he speaks god's truth back to jeremiah and he speaks god's truth to us now, Jerusalem is uninhabitable. So they're here. Look at verse 6. Look at verse 8. They're here at Mizpah, a little settlement where the remaining Jews gather because Jerusalem has been destroyed. And this is the judgment of God as he abandons his people. And we see the utter chaos. Utter chaos of what foes. When as a people designed to live with God as their king... Try and have it and live on their own. And then God gives them what they've chosen. Because without God, it just all begins to go horribly wrong. But, you know, there's a lovely little thing here. These first six verses, um, how Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar um, <coughs> looks after Jeremiah, he releases him in verse 4 there. He says, Sir, come with me and I'll look after you. And he meant it in verse 4. You know, in other words, come with me on his great big long trek over to Babylon, I'll look after you. Or, look at the end of verse 4, he could decide where he wanted to go. And he gives Jeremiah provisions and a presence. And actually, that's what the law of Deuteronomy said. If you've got a slave, and Jeremiah would have been in that category, and you release him, you're supposed to give him a present, and he does. So God is looking after his prophet in the most extraordinary way uh, through this guy who uh, was um, a commander in the invading army. And there are times, aren't there, when uh, God does show this enormous care for us. Uh, when we were in India, <clears throat> uh, there are very many beautiful birds in India. In fact, we bought a bird book, which told us all about the beautiful birds in India, and, uh, uh, which is great. But uh, there are also other birds that you see here, just a few, like the house sparrow, for instance. And, uh, and the things about house sparrows is they're very common in Indian towns, but not in country areas at all. Now, after Anna and I had probably the worst night of our lives up in the uh, Himalayan foothills, uh, we were there, and uh, uh, we were a very long way from any help, and she was very seriously ill. And then 6 o'clock in the morning, what do you do when you have a big problem and you're English? You go and get a cup of tea, okay? So uh, so I went out to go and get a cup of tea for us uh, both at 6 in the morning, and uh, I took that picture, and uh, then I went to get a couple of mugs of tea. And, uh, uh, and up there... In rural Himalayan foothills in the middle of nowhere, what did I see on the ground in front of me? An English male house sparrow. And it just made me remember Matthew 10, which uh, says this, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. you are worth more than many sparrows and um, and I just uh, I just looked down at this sparrow and I thought uh, you shouldn't be here mate <laughs> and uh, and I think the lord was uh, just using a house sparrow to help me to remember the bible and to reassure me it's going to be all right Well, God used um, a house sparrow for us and he used the commander of of the Babylonian army to show Jeremiah his love and his grace. But the main thing here is this. This is the judgment of God on his people. And he's abandoned them. And their life and their leadership just begins to disintegrate because without God... It all goes horribly wrong. Second, assassinations. Martin Luther King, John Lennon, J.F. Kennedy there. Now have a look at chapter 40 and verses 13 to 16 and then chapter 41 and verses 1 to 3. In fact, you could read the whole of chapter 41, but the first part gives a a flavor, a rather bitter flavor. Now, the, uh, the king of Babylon... Had appointed this guy um, uh, Gedaliah, or Gedalia, or how, how, how do you pronounce it, Milena? I'm sure I've got it wrong. I'm sure you got it right, but anyway, uh, whichever way around it is. And uh, uh, he, anyway, he's been appointed as governor over the towns of Judah, and uh, and that's in verse five there. And uh, he's the son of Shaphan, or Shaphan. Does Shafan ring a bell? Shafan the secretary. Remember Shaphan the secretary? Remember Josiah? It's a few years before Josiah's reforms. They found the Book of the Law in the temple. Who brought the Book of the Law in the temple to Josiah? A bloke called Shaphan the secretary. This is his son. Okay. So, uh, uh, and he's a good guy. He's nice, but he's a bit naive. And he's not got an easy job. The Jews thought that he was way too close to the Babylonians and the Babylonians thought probably he was way too close to the Jews so he's walking a tightrope it's a bit like in guernsey in the second world war uh second world war during the second world war the um uh, the Germans invaded the channel islands and uh, this is a guy called Uh, Well, he later was knighted, but he's Ambrose James Sherwell. And he was, he was a guy who looked after, he was a, he was from Guernsey, and he was a guy who looked after a lot of the civil administration in, in, in Guernsey. During the war, uh, this character, Ambrose James Sherwell, was accused by the Germans of doing stuff that he shouldn't have been doing. And actually, he, he did that. So there were a couple of spies, for instance, who were just about to be arrested. So, uh, uh, so he got a couple of German militia uniforms and doctored them to make them look like British Army uniforms so the two spies who then were arrested wouldn't be shot. Uh, and actually he had a couple of spells uh, in he was he was uh, arrested once and taken off to paris and sent to prison and then in 1943 he was sent down to bavaria to a prison camp down there in the south of germany because the germans were getting fed up with him uh, being a bit too kind of uh, acting on the other side at the same time the people in guernsey were saying you are a collaborator with the germans so he was being uh, hack- you know he was getting it in the neck from both sides just as the same would have happened to uh, uh, get a liar here he was walking a similar tightrope at Mizpah, outside Jerusalem. He gathered people together, and they farmed for a year and possibly more. Look at verse 10 and verse 12 of chapter 40 there. And they got to look at the end of chapter 12, uh, verse 12. And they harvested an abundance of wine and summer fruit. There were people who had been probably formed little militias and so on around the place. They came and joined him. And he said, it's a good idea that we should actually just get on with life and put up with the Babylonians being here. But there was a guy called Ishmael, and he was planning a coup, and verses thirteen and fourteen there in chapter forty. And uh, yeah, Gedaliah was uh, uh, was warned about it. Uh, but have a look at the end of verse fourteen. He says, Gedaliah, son of Ahikam, Ahikam, how it's pronounced, did not believe them. And then. Uh, Jehoram asked Gedaliah uh, if he could have permission to go and kill Ishmael and uh, at the end of the chapter, verse 16 uh, Gedaliah said to Jehanan, son of Kareah, don't do such a thing what you're saying about Ishmael isn't true but it was and then in chapter 41 uh, Ishmael and uh, ten of his guys are there they were, they were enjoying the hospitality of Gedaliah and what they do, they assassinate Gedaliah Just there now there are some famous assassinations aren't there you know exactly where that was don't you going through Dallas and uh, in just a few moments we know what was going to happen with President Kennedy and uh, that's Gandhi and that's just a few seconds before he was assassinated Um, it's a risk of being in power we say but for here and when you look at our Bibles in chapter 41 and verses 1 and 2 it's different why? Look, we don't know much about Ishmael. Uh, he was kind of royal blood. He was one of the king's officers. Um, it seems possibly he knew Gedaliah. That's why he was having dinner with him. But that's all pretty much all we know about him, this Ishmael character. He was probably, possibly, maybe angry at Gedaliah's failure to resist the Babylonians. Perhaps he was saying, come on, we should be sorting out this kind of rebellion and getting these guys out of our country and so on. At least that may be the case. Maybe he was just an angry, impetuous young man. Maybe he was filled by some Jewish nationalism. We don't know for sure. And there are plenty of assassinations down history carried out by angry young men, aren't there, fueled by a frenzied nationalism. But why is this one different? This was different as an assassination because it marks the descent of a nation into chaos After it's been abandoned by God, it's a sign that without God, everything goes horribly wrong. And it's a warning to us. It's a warning to us that says, actually, you don't want to live your life without God. Not saying that you'll be assassinated if you do, but it's just simply a sign, a symptom of a downward degeneration of a society which has turned its back on God and being abandoned by him. And this should make us want to pray for our country. Every morning I look at the news. I look at it on uh, online. And I'll pray for certain things in the news. Because we should be praying for our country. I hope you've been praying and praying uh, for this Brexit stuff that's going on i hope also you're praying for the tory party for the mps this week and then for members of the tory party i hope if you're a member of the tory party that you pray hard before you vote for which of those last two um in in the uh (coughs) in the votes there We should want to pray. We must be praying for our country every day. Uh, It's a significant and a very important thing. And I think this actually encourages us to do so. Because we see when a country has turned its back on God, when God has abandoned that country, it starts going down the gurgler. And I don't want that for my country. And I hope you don't want that either. And then we see atrocities, not just assassinations, but actually there are atrocities going on. Because without God it all goes horribly wrong. And Mizpah is not a place you would want to be. While I was at university in the 1970s, almost exactly coincided with, coinciding with that, the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia murdered about 2 million people. 2 million over just about 3 years. That's not bad going when the entire population of your country before you started was only 8 million. That means they wiped out a quarter of the population of their country. It became known as the Killing Fields, as you probably know. And why were they killed? Because they disagreed with an atheist communist leader called Pol Pot. And in Jeremiah chapter 41, the atrocities begin at Mizpah. It's deceptive, it's de- uh, deceitful, it's despicable. You glance over verses 4 to 10 here and you think, this is just awful what's going on here. And there seems to be no particular reason for it. Why would you be like that? Why would you fill a water tank with bodies? I mean, Ishmael may be just like killing people. Maybe he liked the smell of warm blood. Some people do, apparently. Was he just a psychopath? Was he mad? Had the power gone to his head? Or maybe he was just very, very angry. We have no idea. But there's murder, and there's massacre, and there's mayhem going on in Mizpah. And where's God? What's God up to here? And what are God's people doing here? Well, God's not there because he has, he has turned his back on his people. He's abandoned his people. That's why these things are beginning to happen but his people aren't trying to go back to him they're trying to sort it all out themselves and God has judged and abandoned his people and it's all going horribly, horribly wrong do you think that Jeremiah 41 is meant to be a picture of hell? because I do it's a picture of existence without God I hesitate to call it life without God, because life suggests goodness in some limited way, perhaps. But existence in Mizpah, at that time, looks like hell to me. Irrational violence. Terrible suffering. Deceit. Death repeated. All good removed from the world. No one to be trusted, no security, no safety, just fear and no idea that tomorrow holds something better, no hope, only fear that it will get worse and worse. See, I think here we have a horrible picture of life without God. A horrible picture of eternity without God. And it's saying to us, isn't it? If you don't live with God now, please, you need to sort out your life and get right with him. I've just asked for copies of uh, uh, Luke's Gospel just to be put by the doors. If you just want to start getting right with God, take one of these as you go and start reading it tonight. Or better still, talk to, uh, talk to Abby or talk to me or talk to Tim who's on drums tonight, who's our curate, um, or anyone else on the staff here to help you find God. And avoid a lost eternity without God, it does go horribly wrong, and then we see here just finally and very briefly, I need to stop uh, anarchy anarchy. you see, we need leaders, whether it be in a small group or a church or a city or a country. No leaders, and it all begins to go pear-shaped, doesn't it? We need leaders spiritually because of our sinful hearts. And God's people here, um, after they've been abandoned by God, their leader, they have no king. God should be their king. They've been abandoned. They've abandoned him. He's now abandoned them. And it's descending into anarchy. No one's safe, and it's a desperate situation to be in. We all need leaders. So we do need to pray for our country and we do need to pray for our next prime minister and personally we all need a king and his name is jesus who was abandoned for us when he died on that cross You see, you've got two abandonments here, God abandoning his people. But actually we see and we know and we understand that God abandoned his son in our place so that we might have eternity with him, united with him in glory, in paradise. So we might live with him as our king for now, for time and for eternity. And in order to achieve that, God's son, his only son, was abandoned for us. So tonight we have a picture and a warning that actually without God, it's the wrong way. And it all goes horribly wrong. And we're being told that you don't have to live a life without God, either now or in eternity. And you can begin your life with him tonight. I'd love you to do that. Let's pray together.